Everyone has a story to tell. Welcome to Dingo Talk, where we explore the experiences that make us who we are. Here's your host, Carlo Guadagnino. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. And once again, we jump back into the Division Three uh, field, this time with Commissioner of the OAC, Sarah Odie. Uh, Sarah's going to talk to us about, one, what it's like to be the first woman commissioner in the OAC, two, the only the second full-time commissioner of the OAC, and to just talk about her journey uh, from Washington and Lee to uh, working for the NCAA to now basically being in charge of an entire conference in the Division Three realm and what the importance of Division Three is across the board. We're also going to talk a little bit of NIL deals. Um, we're going to talk about what the ever-changing landscape of the NCAA and collegiate fields are. Um, but it's not my job to tell her story. It's Sarah's job to tell her story. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, really appreciate you. Hit that like button. Uh, maybe subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening to us on anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, the, the, the whole gambit, hit the like button, hit that little bell so you don't miss an episode. And if you want to follow us on the social medias, it's TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. The only one different is the Instagram page. It's dingo underscore talk. Um, and we want to take this time to thank everybody, including Commissioner Odie, for uh, joining us, both from the OAC, the PAC, uh, the Empire 8, and the other conferences that have, uh, specifically in the football realm, that have joined up for this season of Dingo Talk. But without further ado, Commissioner Odie's going to tell her story. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. My guest this week is the Commissioner of the OAC, Sarah Odie. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're going to do this the same way we do every week. I'm going to take you back to 2003 and find out why William and Lee was your choice, and work our way to today. Um, so, starting off, and that's Washington and Lee, not William and Lee, so I'll correct myself there. Um, so, why was Washington and Lee your uh, your choice for undergrad? You know, it's funny. Uh, my dad went to Washington and Lee, and, and growing up, I wouldn't even visit there because I refused to, to go to the school that he went to. I already went to his high school. Um, and, I, and I was not going to follow in his footsteps to go to Washington and Lee. Uh, but as it got time to, to actually start looking at colleges, and, and I looked first primarily at the academic profile of, of the schools I was applying to, um, WNL fit really well with, with what I was looking for and uh, relevant to, to your, your podcast, I think. Um, the opportunity to play basketball was something that jumped out at me is uh, something that I, would be an opportunity there that wasn't at some of the bigger schools that I was looking at. And so the combination of the academic profile of the institution and just the chance to continue my athletic career was was what ultimately got me there. Well, and, and academics is clearly a, a strong suit, something very important to you as you graduated from Washington Lee with magna cum laude. Um, with a psychology degree. Now, why was psych where you went? Uh, honestly, I was a failed pre-med uh, person. So um, psych was just the next best thing that allowed me to sort of stay in the sciences, but um, actually pass my classes. 
but uh, <laughs> no, so I, I, I really liked my focus in psychology was actually sport and exercise psychology. So psychology gave me um, a touch with, again, with the sciences, a little bit of neuroscience in there as well. Um, but allowed me to kind of put my foot in the in the door in terms of uh, working in sport in some degree. And was that always the goal was to work in sport to in some aspect once the playing career was done? I, I wish I could say I had a goal of what of of a specific career when I was coming out of high school, but as I got into my basketball career at Washington and Lee and, and started to get exposure to some folks in the athletic department and started to see um, the opportunities that existed in athletics that I didn't previously realize even were jobs. Uh, I, I sort of started, I, I realized, Hey, I'm having a really great experience, a life-changing experience as a student athlete in some way. I want to be involved in that when I, when I finish school um, and was lucky enough to have a mentor in the psychology department at WNL that, uh, sort of saw that passion in me, saw my interest and um, helped me cater my course selections and even create some independent studies that gave me uh, access to sport and exercise psychology, which wasn't actually a course that that Washington and Lee offered. Um, we took a, a sort of a social psychology approach and and layered sport into that. Now, in between 2003 and 2007, sports psychology was still kind of in its infancy for what we know it as today, correct? Yeah, it really was. I mean, um, and, and that was uh, bad in the sense that there weren't a lot of court. I mean, again, I, there wasn't a course that I could take um, as part of my undergrad, but it was good in that there were so many possibilities and so many potential angles um, that I could use to, to take it. Now, when you graduate from there, what, what, why the decision to go to Virginia? and further your education? Yeah, well, I think the running joke among psych majors is that um, you're, you're pretty much signing up for, uh, for a decision on what your next degree is going to be. Um, but Virginia, similarly, um, Virginia offered me the opportunity to uh, get a degree in the Curry School at the University of Virginia. I grew up Fully transparently, I grew up a huge Virginia fan, Virginia basketball fan for, for my entire life. So going to Virginia was um, was really cool uh, cherry on top of my academic career for me. Um, but I was able to work with Diane Whaley, who's a professor there in the Curry School of Virginia and, and did some um, sport and exercise psychology work. And so while they didn't have a degree in sport and exercise psych at that point in time, I did my master's thesis on a sport and exercise psychology topic. and. Um, and again, was able to just kind of create my own academic curriculum, I guess, a little bit. Which makes kind of make it a little nicer to be able to kind of like, I want to go, I want to do that class. I want to do that class. Now I don't, I don't need the math stuff. You can leave that over there. And yeah, exactly. I don't know, maybe you're a math person. Cause I, I don't, I don't do the math. I stay away. I, from. I'm not, I did stats just because I had to. <laughs> I understand that. I stay as far, if I can avoid the math, I do. Um, <laughs> So from 2010 to 2012, you were the assistant athletic director at Hollins University. And I guess my question is, why go into that route of um, athletics? You know, you're, you're now working up into kind of skipped over the sports information director position, athletic training, and you've, you kind of leapfrogged into 
one of the top positions in a, in, in, at a school. Um, why that decision? A, a little bit of pure dumb luck. Um, so as I was finishing my, my degree at Virginia, there was a position that opened up at Hollins that technically the title was assistant athletic director, but it was actually a position funded by a grant from the NCAA. So the NCAA gives grants, Division Three specifically, gives grants mm-hmm. to sort of under-resourced institutions to hire a position on their campus that they've not previously had or that they wouldn't be able to afford without, without the NCAA money. So Hollins had never previously had an assistant AD. Um, and because it was grant funded, it was um, maybe not quite as salary competitive as some other assistant AD positions would be. So I got lucky that they were looking for somebody with um, my level of experience or maybe inexperience, I should say. Um, and, and Hollins is in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, which is the conference that I played in as a student athlete. So I had some connections that helped me out for sure. Now, what was that experience like? So you're going into a job kind of, I, I guess, on both sides, like you said, they they don't really have much in way of expectation because they don't really know what they're looking for. And you don't have much of an expectation in the sense that, like you said, you kind of dumb luck and this job came along. So what was the experience like for those two years? It was it was incredible. Um, I, I mean, the, the really cool thing about Division three, especially on campus, is that whether you like it or not, you're doing a little bit of everything. So um, I used uh, sort of my uh, exercise science degree and I did some strength and conditioning. I was an assistant basketball coach. I did compliance. Um, and the really cool thing about that experience was I got to do a little bit of everything in, in an athletic department and really hone what my interests and skill sets were. Um, and the administrative side just ended up being what I felt like I was the best at, where I felt I could contribute the most to the industry um, and, and the stuff that I enjoyed the most as well. And then I'll tell you a little story. I, I, I was there for uh, nine or 10 months and the athletic director that hired me announced she was leaving. And so they, they weren't going to hire a new AD until July. Um, so that meant I was, I think I was 23, 24 years old and I was the interim athletic director for like five months. I did year end evaluations of, of all of the coaches, <laughs> uh, did the year end budget. And it was like, who knows, please nobody ever go back and look at any of the paperwork. From <laughs> the no fact checking, no nothing. We're not going back yeah. into, the, into the record books. We're just no telling. Yeah, but NCA enforcement should not go on campus there and see what happened. I, I have no idea. Now, before we jump into to your your position as commissioner, um, I want to talk a little bit about specifically. We're recording this during Division Three week. Um, yeah. Let's talk. Let's start there. What is the importance of Division Three? Uh, both on an academic side and as an and on the athletic side. Yeah, I mean, you hear it all the time, and and I, I think I think Division Three is what the NCAA strives to be holistically, right? It, I, the the balance between this the student experience and the athlete experience is, in my opinion, it was the right balance for me. Maybe it's not right for everybody, but it was it was the right balance for me, and it's an experience that 
Um, I've made a career out of trying to, to provide to, to other student athletes. Um, it, it really just allows a student to continue playing a sport because they love playing a sport. And honestly, it's very high level athletics. And we can talk about that certainly, but um, I couldn't beat any of our current OAC student athletes in anything ever. I mean, they're phenomenal athletes. Um, and, 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 but also allows them to have leadership opportunities on campus, be in, in clubs, um, and, and just genuinely be a student that also has this passion and commitment to their, the athletic side of, of their experience. Well, and it's interesting you brought up a point, and I, I have talked to many coaches, OAC, PAC, we're, we're moving into the Empire 8 now. Um, there seems to be this negative connotation around Division III, uh, which you just kind of touched on in a positive light. Uh, the athletics isn't as much of a drop-off as everybody thinks. Yeah. What, you, what have you seen uh, now being a part of two different conferences? What have you seen athletically? Like you said, I, I don't think I can go out there and play basketball. I know I can't play football with any of these guys. Yeah, well, and and, and honestly, that was my experience as a student-athlete too, right? I um, had a really successful high school career and was was pretty highly recruited um, and I was humbled when I went to play in the ODAC. Uh, I mean, you realize very quickly that you're playing against uh, you're playing against the best high schoolers in the country. I, I don't know the percentages off the top of my head, but a very, very small percentage of high school athletes go on to play in college at any level. Um, so you're already taking the best of the best. And um, and and. So in many cases, sure. My case, certainly, I wasn't playing Division One because I wasn't good enough to play Division One. But there are plenty of student athletes that choose Division Three just because it's the right balance. Um, but then even those of us that that aren't good enough to play Division One, it's still really high caliber athletics. Now uh, we've talked to a number of the football coaches uh, from the OAC. Uh, Coach Hilbert, I believe, was the one that coined the phrase for the OAC, and. Bear with me because this is one hell of a tongue twister. The OAC <laughs> is the SEC of Division Three. How do you feel about that? Especially, let's focus specifically in the football realm of of the conference for the uh, for the moment. Yeah, well, Carla, don't ever tell Coach Hilbert that I agreed with him on something. But <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, particularly in football, um, the the. The success of our conference at the, on the national level speaks for itself. Um, one of the things that's been frustrating to me since I took over a year and a half ago is just not having the opportunity to get more than one OAC team into the national tournament because I think I think our top four or five teams would make noise and win win games in the national tournament. Um, there there are certainly some very good football conferences out there, but I would put ours up against any of them. I I really think that the depth. Um, of, of the conference and, and the success of the student athletes speaks for itself. Well, and, and as we've been kind of co corresponding to get this interview set up, I, I, I've, I've paid attention to OAC events on, on uh, Twitter. Um, if I'm not mistaken, there was a basketball team that had one hell of a mm -hmm. run this past season from the OAC as well. That's what right. was their yeah, experience right. like? That was that was awesome to see uh, the Mount Union men's basketball team make the make the final four. Um, and actually, I was at the men's final four last year with the Marietta men's basketball team. So we had two different 
uh, men's basketball teams in, in the final four, two years in a row. And, and this year, Mount Union losing on a heartbreaker at the buzzer in the national championship game. That, that could have been anybody's game. They had a, an incredible season. And then we had, you know, a, a women's one women's basketball team that made the Sweet 16 for the first time ever. And then uh, another women's basketball team in the Sweet 16 also. I could, you're going to regret asking this question, but I mean, we have had top five finisher in uh, women's track and field, top three in wrestling, um, I think top five in men's cross country. Um, just, it's 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 an incredible conference. It's really fun to look at the national standings in any given sport on any given week and see one of my schools represented. Well, and, and you, so you you touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, you You took over about a year and a half ago. Why was... Why was this the right fit for you? So when, um, after I left Hollins, I went and worked at the NCAA for eight and a half, nine years in, in a variety of capacities. But one of my early roles at the NCAA was, uh, hang on, I'm going to fix my lighting here, Carla. Oh, good. Getting a weird glare on myself in the sun. Um, the, uh, I, I took um, one of my early roles at the NCAA was serving as a conference contact. So serving as kind of a liaison between the NCAA and a, a couple of division three conferences. And the OAC was one of my conferences, gosh, back in like 2012, 2013. Um, and so I got to know uh, the history of some of the institutions in the OAC through that experience, got to know my predecessor, Tim Gleason, um, through that relationship. And just really grew to respect the the competitiveness of the OAC and what 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 this conference does, particularly with all ten schools being in the same state. I think that's fairly unique. Um, and and so then when the job opened up, I saw Tim was leaving. I, I had some conversations with people in the conference that I knew and trusted. And and I what I really liked about what the presidents told me through that process was. Um, I really appreciated the pride in where the conference is now and how competitive we are now, but also the commitment to continue to reach some of our untapped potential. So I love a challenge. And, and so that's what we're working on now. Now, take us through a day or a week <laughs> in the life of a commissioner of a Division Three conference. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it, it really it really depends. I mean, you'll hear a lot of people say that depending on the job, but um, I, I kind of put my job into a couple of different buckets and I'm not working on every single bucket every single day. It really depends on the time of year. Um, the thing that I think is my skill set, the thing that comes most naturally to me is, is I call it governance work. But so taking the athletic directors or a coaches group or the presidents of the conference and getting them in the same room and talking about strategy, policy, how to position the conference, how to platform the conference, how to have national influence. So some of those big picture conversations are types of things that I worked on when I was at the NCAA. So, so that's that part of the transition has been easy for me. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's like assigning officials, working with officials coordinators and making sure our games have officials. Um, working with the commissioners of the other D3 conferences to talk legislative big picture for the NCAA and what can we as conferences do to help advance that. And then, of course, just putting on great championship events for our student athletes so that they feel like they've got a meaningful season culminating experience. Well, and it's interesting you bring up other conferences, uh, specifically the commissioners. Last year around this time, I had a uh, commissioner on Derco from the PAC on. 
And that was right around the NIL stuff was really starting to ramp up um, at the division three level. Now we're, I think, are we a year into the NILs being like, I think it's Ooh. almost two. Yeah. What has changed at the division three level with, and has NIL become what it is at other, at the, at the division one and division two level, or is it kind of staying depending on where you are and, and the area that you're in? Yeah, I, I think it depends a little bit. Um, I don't think it's grown as quickly at the Division three level as it has at the Division one level. Um, and, and and that makes sense, um, both because um, of the, unfortunately, I mean, I wish our student athletes had more um, TV airtime. So thanks for you for, for what you do and, and helping them get that. But it, it's a little bit just, them not having as much exposure as as division one athletes and then also our athletic departments being understaffed comparatively and and not quite able to um spend as much dedicated time walking students through that process but i do think that it has created opportunities for student athletes at all levels um and and, and maybe even most meaningful in division three it's just released some of those restrictions that historically didn't make a ton of sense in Division Three um, to prevent a, a Division Three student athlete from financially benefiting from things that they were going to do out in the community. Um, and so I think it's I think it's a positive. I think the change is a positive. Obviously, um, it's a challenge for some conferences that cross state lines that the state laws around NIL vary from state to state. We're fortunate in that all ten of our schools are in Ohio. Um, but, but that's created some challenges. And I think there's a lot of a, a lot more progress that will be made in Division three. Um, even some of our schools are slowly starting to partner with organizations that um, are are devoted to helping their student athletes find those resources and, and maximize their NIL opportunities. And my follow up to that is uh, same question I asked him a year ago. Do you think that eventually in the Division three level, we will see either scholarships come down or or some type of, of different aid aimed more towards the student athlete. Or is that, like you said, one of the things that the NCAA kind of looks at division three and goes, Oh, maybe we shouldn't touch this. We, we, we've kind of left this alone in its bubble. Let's leave it there. Yeah. I mean, I think so far the, uh, the rhetoric from the division three membership who, again, the, the, the membership, makes the, the the rules so it's not necessarily the NCAA office sitting there um deciding what the restrictions are going to be but the rhetoric from the division three athletic directors so far has been that um opening up the financial aid legislation would be counter to the philosophy of division three now I will say I do think there's a working group right now that's reviewing the division three philosophy so maybe we'll know more in six months or so um if if that piece of the if that sort of philosophical tenet um makes any movement then perhaps there's a window there um but if you were to ask me today short of um federal or state legislation that requires division three to do something different. I wouldn't see athletic scholarships becoming a thing. Um, but I do think there are ways division three can move the needle and make more financial resources available to our student athletes um, or, or just free them up to pursue some of those things on their own to make college more cost efficient for them. 
um, without but while stopping short of going all the way to to athletic scholarships. Now, what's the so from two thousand and three to now? What's the biggest change you've seen in college sports? NIL is a pretty big one. Um, I'm trying to think. You know what? Another recent one that I think is going to be really interesting is um, uh, sports wagering. So when I first started at the NCAA, um, sports wagering, I mean, it, it still is prohibited by NCAA legislation, but it was easy to prohibit it through NCAA legislation because um because of the, the the federal laws surrounding sports wagering activity and, and now that that's opened up um the NCAA cannot any longer not go to states that have legalized sports wagering activities that you know previously they wouldn't go play a tournament in Vegas because mm-hmm. it was contrary to to their um philosophy and so so that's changed that landscape's changed it's opened up the geography a little bit more and and now i mean gosh if you watch espn um leading into a big division one game in really any sport they're talking about betting lines um and and so it's changed the way people talk about sport i think i agree i think and i think we've seen that really that needle gets pushed further and further as we kind of get through the and with NIL coming in as well there's just a lot of well I would say that there's a lot more conversation about the money lines and the spreads than as growing up as I remember whatever being talked about yeah exactly um, so these next five questions are they're they're just completely random I've asked every other uh guest that we've had um so I'm gonna we're gonna hit you with them if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? If I could live anywhere in the world, um, Baldhead Island. Uh, it's uh, it's like a tiny little island off the coast of Wilmington, North Carolina. We, we went there a lot growing up and no cars are allowed. So it's just golf carts and bikes and, you know, physical activity and the beach. That's That sounds pretty good to me. What is the most important lesson that you've learned thus far over your career? The, the most important, it's kind of boring. Um, and I tell students this and they, they, I think they're disappointed in my answer, but um, bust your tail where you are. I mean, uh, work as hard as you can in the role that you're in. That's the best way to get the next role um, is to be great in the one that you've got. If you weren't in your current occupation, what would you be doing and why? I would probably be a national park ranger. Um, I really like being outside. I like hiking. I like physical activity. Um, so I don't know, in the mountains somewhere as a national park ranger, maybe. Best compliment you've ever received? Best compliment I've ever received. Oh, man. I don't know. Um, I guess the best compliment I've ever received is that I remind someone of my dad. Okay. Okay. Now, on the other side of that, best insult you've ever received? <laughs> How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> all right. So I'll I'll throw some uh, – uh, one of my athletic directors um, – 
gave me an underhanded insult a, a few weeks ago. Um, I posted a photo on Twitter because uh, Washington and Lee, my alma mater, was playing. They didn't play one of my schools, but they played at Ohio Northern in the first round of the women's basketball championship. And so I posted a photo of my playing days and, and, and Larry Heiser, who's the athletic director at Marietta said that he didn't know that um, YWNL wore their uniforms on practice days, sort of insinuating that I never got to play in games, which he, he's not that far off, but yes. Okay, well, it was very creative the way he said, yeah. that was a nice, <laughs> I mean, not a nice backdoor, but it, it was a nice, uh... now you're only the second full-time commissioner in OAC history, first woman, obviously. What does that mean to you? It, it um, so I have, I've grown more to appreciate how meaningful that is. I've, I'm somewhat, it's interesting, right? We're in the 50th, we're, we're in kind of a year long celebration of the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And I get asked a lot what it's like to, to be a female in athletics administration. And I've been incredibly fortunate in my life to never feel like I had any doors entirely closed to me um, because of my gender. Um, and over the course of time, I've grown to appreciate that that means how much it means that there were people that came before me that made sure that that was the case. So as I think about being the first female and the fact that that doesn't seem that big of a deal to me is a big deal because it means that somebody came before me and made sure that I had um, um, had room to grow in, into that role. And then just briefly, can you can you um, give us a little bit of a synopsis for those that don't know what Title IX really is? Because I think a lot of people just assume like Title IX is uh, if a, if a woman's practice if men are practicing at this time, women have to be given the same amount of time and the and the same uniforms, the same opportunities. But then there's there's all this other stuff that gets kind of bulked in with Title IX. So can you explain that to us? Yeah, and I'm certainly not a Title IX expert, but but the the premise of Title IX is that it, it was a bill that precluded um gender discrimination in the educational context so any institution that received any type of federal funding which is almost all of them um could no longer discriminate discriminate based on gender in, in any capacity so it's really an educational law um and it applies to much more than just sport but the way it plays out in sport um is is just ensuring that the interests and the the interests of the student body and the prospective student body are equally met for, for both genders. So you're right. I mean, you hear um, people talk about roster sizes, right? Making sure there are approximately the same number of female student athletes as male student athletes, um, that the locker rooms look similar, those types of things. But all of that is really just getting to the core of um, ensuring that an institution's not discriminating or not drawing arbitrary lines based on gender. And there are a couple of different ways schools can comply with that. The, the numbers don't have to be exactly equal. It just kind of has to match the interests of their student body and their prospective student body. But um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I would be getting way outside of my, um, my area of expertise if I tried to talk too much more about it. And, and I think the NCAA kind of had that realization or Maybe you're going to have that realization over this now summer, given the women's tournament versus the men's tournament and the mass 
very big disproportionate to the men's side, to the women's side. Uh, The last question, and this one, it it confuses every guest that I have. I confused me when I wrote it down, but I keep rolling with it because it keeps the continuity of the show. Was there a question you were expecting me to ask? And if so, how would you have answered it? Um, So a question that I get asked a lot, especially especially knowing that you uh, have talked to a number of our football coaches is what it's like being a female who's never played football, um, you know, with some responsibility over over um, over football and for Division three competitive, very competitive, nationally competitive football. Um, And I guess how I would have answered it is that I'm very fortunate in our conference that we've got 10 phenomenal coaches who are willing to look to a female as as the leader of the conference and are willing to support me. Um, And actually, they're one of our our most supportive coaches committees. Um, And and then at the end of the day, so much of my job is just all about relationships. And so the the people that I'm around in the OAC make it make it really easy for me. And I'm very fortunate to be a part of it. Well, Commissioner Odie, that that's that. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your out of your week to to sit down with us. I'm glad we could get this done this time. Um, It's a couple cancellations in there and whatnot. Um, For those of you sticking around, we are going to take a break. We'll be right back with the editorial with Serenity Brown, um, where she tells me all the things I did wrong, but I corrected myself at the beginning with my my glaring mistake. So she can't call me out on that one because she'll have my notes. Um, but again, I want to say thank you very much for joining us. And uh, you never know, you might see us around. We have a couple games scheduled. We're supposed to go to a couple OAC games. We're supposed to go to a couple PAC games. Um, I might make my way to New York for the Empire 8. I, that that conference is a it's like the the wilderness to me. I don't know. I didn't even know it was there. And now I'm I'm talking to all these coaches. The OAC really. I thought I, I feel bad because I thought it was you know it was Mount Union, John Carroll, and there was a bunch of schools that were very competitive and and they were kind of that next level. Take the time to look through the stats and everything. There's not very much disparity from the top to the bottom of the conference. I mean. You have, and, and the coaches have said it, if you don't bring your A game on a Saturday, specifically because we've talked to the football coaches, if you don't bring your game, you will get beat. Um, that's top to bottom in the conference. So um, I hope to see you at some point this fall. And uh, we'll be right back, Chuckleheads. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carla Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. Actually, this is the editorial with Serenity Brown. It's still Dingo Talk. Should introduce the show before I, um, <clears throat> before we go any further with this, what's already starting off to be a solid input on this one. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. The only one that's different is Instagram. It's dingo underscore talk. Uh, thank you for watching. If you're on YouTube, give us a like and a subscribe. Uh, thank you for listening. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, please continue to do that. Hit the notification button so you don't miss any of our episodes. What did you think of Commissioner Ote- Odie? How about we start with you this time? What did you think? I mean, I think she's a very strong-minded woman who is go- who's done a lot of good for women's athletics and athletics as a whole. Um, but also, uh, I think the more 
opportunities that are presented to OAC schools, this seems to be the right fit to be the second full-time commissioner in uh, conference history. So, <clears throat> and the first one. And the first one. Yeah, that was a good episode. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Is it? <laughs> yeah. Short and sweet this week. Yeah, you honestly, you do my job for me because uh, you point out your own mistakes in the show. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's this self-deprecating humor thing that they've all taught me. I'm I'm really good at it. I'm I'm excelling in that part. Um <clears throat> also, with this being the first episode in May, and I believe May is mental health awareness month, just make sure you check in on your people. Make sure you check in on yourself. You know, you can do a lot of good for a lot of people, but if you're not taking care of yourself, um you, you, it'll cause a problem. You can't neglect yourself just to help yes, other people. I agree. Uh, so make sure you're good. Make sure your people are good. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was important to maybe next week we'll talk. We'll do it's a little very thing. Important. It's a very important. And, and if you think that uh, you need help, call a friend, call a family member, do something. You know, you're not alone. So that being said, <clears throat> you could live anywhere in the world. Where would it be and why? Oh, yeah, you're getting ringered. Here we go. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Go. Uh, does it have to be a specific place, or can I just describe? Yes, you can just describe. Um, okay. There was a little <laughs> hair flip. There was a little hair flip behind that voice. I'm just kidding. Yo, I don't know if you can. Okay. Um. <laughs> nowhere near people <laughs> yeah yeah i agree uh, off the top of the list um warm not like to the point where like you're i mean dying. i like i like snow i hate it if we don't have to go anywhere then i would love it even more i hate it i hate oh. being cold so warm <laughs> okay um i really think that's funny those are your two <laughs> qualifications no people and warm I can make those work. We can make those work. No. We'll work that into your next contract for the show. Someplace warm and not near people. So not working down West Virginia. <laughs> no, it's cold as hell. Uh, and yeah, I, I want to point that out. Thank you for reminding me. It's freaking May, and I want to it's tell freezing. you. I want to tell you how hard it was for me to use "freaking" as the word there. It's freaking May, and it's really cold. Um, so whoever's in charge of the heater, we need to turn that on or pay the bill, do whatever you're supposed to do, but it's not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to be seeing snow, uh, on May 1st. Yeah. So that being said, best compliment you ever received. <clears throat> that I'm stubborn or thick-headed. Best insult you've ever received. We were buffering there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, did you see the eye for guy? those younger people, <laughs> did, don't worry about it. You don't know what that means. Um, we were in Dalo. 
mode for those older folk on that are watching. I've been told before, and I don't think it's true, but I've been told I was selfish before, and I think uh, sometimes that's okay to be, to be selfish. selfish. I agree. Um, I agree. So I think we started this series here uh, two months ago, and that was because we had you on the last episode of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and we asked you a question there. And that <laughs> question was, if you could have lunch with three people, they could be fake people. I don't care if it's Spock, Yoda, and Chewie sitting at the table. Have you come up with three people? I gave Star Wars two out of the three people. I'm sleeping. Okay. Well, do you have anything else? I don't think so. Next week, I'll think of three people. No, you won't. Don't let her lie to you. Next week, we will be... Um, there's a possibility that we'll have an administrator from Bethany College. There's a possibility that we'll be jumping back into the PAC. And there's a possibility that we might be jumping, following uh, Commissioner Odie. We might be staying in the OAC and, and taking down a couple more of those coaches and getting their stories out there. Um, haven't decided yet, so stay tuned for that. Um, and all the people graduating from Bethany, congratulations. Go out into the real world, do some great things. And, uh, today it's the Saturday. Yeah, it's the Saturday, yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, go out in the world, do some great things, and we will catch you next week, Chuckleheads. Thanks for checking out this episode of Dingo Talk. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. For more info and to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at Dingo Talk.